You all remember the nursery rhyme? If it is a nursery rhyme. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horsemen and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now, I think there's more to that story, right? But do you ever feel bad for Humpty? And who gave him that name, by the way? He was an egg. Let's sort of think about these things. But I sit there and think he's all cracked. He's there. Nobody could do anything for him. That one moment where he falls and he's broken. That one moment where he slips and now he's all cracked. That one moment where he's sitting there and saying, nobody can put me back together. Now, it's a nursery rhyme. I get it, okay? And not to be coy or funny or anything, but seriously, think about this. Have you ever felt like Humpty Dumpty? Have you ever felt like you've fallen? You're broken? You're cracked? Do you ever feel like you try to get things all together and put yourself back together and you just can't do it? Maybe you've been really successful at work or really successful at all the things you've done and you've been on top your whole life and you've, you've just always finished and done things right. You've met the expectations of others. And then one day, just one day, you slip. You fail. You mess up. And everybody knows you messed up. Oh, word spreads quick. Just ask any teenager in here. Somebody in this room, as a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. As a college student, you know what I'm talking about. Because you, you make one mistake, and it spreads in your school, and everybody knows. And then it's the walk of humiliation and shame the next few days as you walk through your schools, and you're just sort of head down thinking, everybody knows. Everybody knows, right? Joshua, turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Joshua, Old Testament. We are in the book of Joshua. And um, as I've, I've told you many times, it's one of my favorite books. And I know, I know, I know Easter's coming, right? And it's like, hey, are we going to talk about Jesus? Easter's coming, right? We'll get there. Book of Joshua, chapter 7. A few weeks ago, we read this passage. We examined the loss that took place and why they lost, which should have been an easy battle, right? But today, we're going to pick this up and read a little bit more. We're going to start in verse 2, chapter 7. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, near east of Bethel, near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two, 3,000 men to attack the eye. Since there are so few of them, don't make all of your people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries. They killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Verse 6, Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads. They bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they'll surround us, they'll wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? Now Joshua, the commander-in-chief, 
He suffers this humiliating loss. And, and we know why they lost. If you remember the sermon two weeks ago, Sin in the Camp, right? But let's look at this story from a different angle. Joshua is left with a rotten taste of defeat in his mouth. He's confused. Maybe he's possibly angry. He's embarrassed, even feeling like a failure. In front of his army, in front of his people, in front of God, he's sort of like that high schooler walking the halls of shame, thinking everybody knows I blew it. Because he's the commander. He's the one in charge. It all falls back on him. While the 36 men are being buried, the wounded are probably being treated, everyone quietly goes back to their tents. And did you see what Joshua does? He falls before the ark of the Lord. Look at verse 6 again. Joshua and the elders, they, they tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads. They bowed face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Now, we don't know when he went in, and, but it was a long time because he was doing that until evening. There's a gap there. There's space there. There's time there where he's just down and just buried, probably weeping, and he's probably doing a lot of thinking. It says, verse 7, Then Joshua cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord. And he cries out to God and says, Basically, why did this happen? Boy, this is embarrassing to us. This is embarrassing to your name. We're going to get wiped out. Why don't you just let us stay on the other side of the Jordan River? It would have been so much easier. Why is that? Because it was comfortable, right? So many of us are fearful of taking steps forward in our life, taking a risk, because why? We don't want to fail. So what do we do? We stay camped on the other side of Jordan, but God says, no, 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 i got plans where you move forward in life. There will be failure, right? So they move forward in life, and he does, he fails. He comes before the ark of the Lord, and he bows face down, no words, and during that time, as he's probably contemplating what others are saying about him and his leadership, he's probably, oh boy, what's everybody... Oh, what's Caleb thinking right now? Boy, this should have never happened. No. What's my family thinking about me right now? For the first time, he fails. And people know it. What are they saying about him in this failing moment? What is he thinking about himself? Is he having those moments of doubt and self-pity? Because again, think about it when we fail. What do we do? Why did I do that? We start questioning our own selves, right? We have this doubt that we place upon ourselves and we sort of have this little discussion in our heads. And then the self-pity comes. Oh, poor me. Why? Oh, no. Is he questioning his leadership? Is he questioning his commands? Is he questioning his choice of actions? Think about it. When you failed, you flunked a test. Maybe you missed a deadline. Maybe you messed up a relationship. What voices are speaking? What voices are you hearing? When your business fails, when you lose a job, when you lost a game, what voices do you hear? Your mind won't be quiet. You might hear voices of other people talking, right? But your mind picks it up when it gets quiet around you. When those who were critics around you, when they stop talking, guess who starts shouting? Something inside, right? It's uh, easy today, especially with social media. Everybody's quick to blame and critique because you don't have to stand in front of a person now and tell them what they did wrong. You could just send it and boom, send it off. You didn't have to say anything. You let your fingers do the talking. And as soon as you hit send, boom, I just mm, I just nailed them, right? And what happens to the person on the receiving end? They see that like, ah, oh, dagger, right? 
You hear the voices in your head, your doubts, your questions. And here's what happens next. You disqualify yourself. Because now you've failed, you think, you know what? I should have known this would have happened to me. This always happens to me. I always blow it. I always make a mistake. I can't do things right. And then you sentence yourself to a prison of failure, right? Where are those voices coming from? Could it be God? Could it be Satan? Okay, let's be honest. We know this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, God has given us His Holy Spirit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our life is convicts us of sin. It awakens us to change. God will speak to us through His Spirit and say, what you did was wrong. But why does He do that? So that we will get it right. That we will seek forgiveness. It's in that moment we have the opportunity to get things right with God. So yes, God maybe will speak to you through His Holy Spirit and tell you when something's gone wrong in your life. To correct you. To put you on the right path. To make sure that you are right with Him. But we also know this. There's others who are screaming at you too. Turn in your Bibles, and if you will, you might want to just take something, put it there in Joshua, because we're going to come back to that, and turn to the book of John in the New Testament. Fourth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 8, a familiar story. We've heard before, I've probably preached on it. You've heard others preach on it. You've talked about it a lot. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, to pick up rocks, to throw it at her until she is dead. What do you say, Jesus? Look at verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. Because remember, these religious leaders didn't like Jesus because Jesus really cramped their style. Because Jesus brought truth. They didn't like that. Jesus stooped down and he started writing in dust with his finger. Verse 7. But they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. He said, all right. But let the one who's never sinned Throw the first stone. So if anybody in here is perfect, you have the right to go ahead and throw that first stone. And he stooped back down, wrote the dust. When the accusers, let me say again, when the accusers, everybody catch that word? When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go. Sin no more. Now, in this story, we know about this woman who's caught up in her sin. She's caught in a mess. She blew it. She's failed. She's failed many times, right? And these religious leaders, they want to make sure that everybody knows about it. But they also what? They want to trap Jesus too. Sort of two things here they're trying to do. So they bring her to Jesus, ready to condemn her and punish her. Now here's the thing. Is she guilty, yes or no? Yes, she's guilty. No doubt about it. Did she sin? Did she mess up, yes or no? Yes. 
Just like the rest of us, right? Does she deserve a penalty by law, by God's law? Well, according to what Moses was saying, yes. But Jesus shows what? Grace. She's going to get something she doesn't deserve. He gives her that. Just as He gives us what we don't deserve. Look at verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. You know, who are these men? These religious men, these religious leaders trying to trap Jesus. But they're given another name, and I... I emphasized it multiple times in verse 9. They're given another name. They're called accusers. They weren't just religious leaders. They were accusers. They were the voices that shout when you make a mistake, when you mess up. They're the ones that are to come in and stand before you and just accuse you, point their finger at you, tell you how bad you are, make you feel horrible. And they accuse you of these things. They pour guilt on your soul. They make you want to hide in your shame. There's another one who's called an accuser in the Bible. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Let me read this to you. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan... The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heaven. It's come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. Listen to this. For the accuser of our brothers. Did you hear that? For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Satan has made a career out of accusing people. This is Satan's, one of his jobs. What he loves to do is to stand in front of God's throne and accuse day and night, relentlessly condemning us before God. Did you see what they did? Did you see what they did? That's horrible. That's a mistake. That's sin. That's your child screwing up. God, what are you going to do about this? Accuse, accuse. And he just keeps accusing. As it says in Revelation 12, 10. The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. He is Satan. He slithers into our lives. He's the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, as John 10, 10 says. You're no good. Christians, boy, Christians don't act that way. Why are you acting that way? Oh, God's never going to forgive you. Did you ever hear those kind of words before? Condemnation. The devil loves to use criticism and disapproval, disapproval to defeat those who love God. Those are his weapons. Those are his tactics. I want you to feel horrible. I want you to feel condemned. I'm going to accuse you before God day and night. But what does Jesus do? Look at the story of this woman caught in sin. Jesus, what? He stands up for us. He's stooping down, and the accusers are going to. Jesus stands up. And he stands up for us. And he silences the accusers. What does he say? You, without the first sin, without any sin, you who are perfect, you can be the first to cast a stone. Is there anybody here that can do that? And what do we hear? Silence. Actually, what we hear is rocks dropping, stones falling. It's probably the only sound we hear. When Satan accuses, Jesus refuses to do nothing. So he does something incredible. 
He did something which no other religion can claim. Check it out. Just do a background on other religions. Find another religion that equals what Christ does for us in Christianity. He did something to this day that we're able to celebrate this time of the year with a cross, with communion, with an Easter celebration. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, starts off by saying this, By His death, say it with me, by His death, one more time, by His death, by His death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's go right into the presence of God. And with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. Listen to this. For our guilty consciences... So guilty, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed, I'm humiliated, I lost. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. See, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross gives us a new position with God. We're guilty, but the accuser must be silenced because, praise be to God in His grace. Through Jesus Christ, we are declared clean and forgiven. That's good news, right, church? From the book of John, do me a favor. Go back a few more books. Go to the book of Ephesians. So you're in John, head towards the back. Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, got Galatians, and then Ephesians, small book. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul had something to say about this incredible grace, this incredible gift that cleans us, that forgives us, that frees us. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 5. Uh, we'll go back to verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much, that even when we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Did you hear that? It's by God's grace that you've been saved. It isn't because your parents are religious. It isn't because you go to church all the time. It isn't because you did all these good things. It is by God's grace you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us, as shown as He's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. God saved you by His grace when you believed. Did you hear that? This morning, if you're sitting here and you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, did you hear that? You're saved. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. The accuser wants to scream and shout at you, but your Savior, Jesus Christ, stands up and says, Be quiet. I've already taken care of this. Verse 9, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. If it was, what we would do? We'd boast about it, right? Did you see what I did? Did you see how I helped out? Did you see all the serving I'm doing? Did you see the wonderful things I did? What does that mean? I've earned my way to heaven. That can't happen. Salvation. It's not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Verse 10. 
For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that He's planned for us long ago. Satan accuses us and causes us to feel like professional failures at times, doesn't he? Unequipped. Not qualified to serve or teach or even go to church, right? How many times has somebody in this room, and don't raise your hand, but how many times have you say, I'm not qualified to do children's church or, or Sunday school or youth group or I can't do this. I, I can't help there. Who says? Who disqualified you? Who said you weren't fit to serve in the church? Who said you can't teach? Well, I'm not good. Who said that? I think you got an accuser screaming at you, disqualifying you right now. How many times have we not volunteered because we weren't spiritual enough? I don't know enough of the Bible. That's an accusation from an accuser. Don't listen to the accuser because he has no power over you. No power over you. Truth is, we fail. We do. And how do we mess with our failures? How do we mess? How do we deal with failing? Are we perfect people? No. No. But we do happen to have, what, a bunch of perfect messes in our lives, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on that wall, right? He had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You know why? Because he is unable to help himself. So the king's horses and the king's men came. Here's the thing. We are like Humpty Dumpty. We have fallen. We fail. We mess up. We make mistakes. And we are cracked. We're broken. We're messy. But God, King of kings, sends his son to fix us, to heal us, to make us new. So you messed up. I make mistakes. But praise God that my moment of failure does not define me, nor does it define you. Praise God that my moment of messing up does not mess up God's love for me. Your moment of messing up does not mess up God's love for you. My life in Christ, my salvation does not depend upon my life of perfection. It depends on God's perfection. And He is perfect. Amen? Matthew West has a song I'm sure many of you have heard on the radio multiple times. You probably crank it up. You probably sing along, right? So let's do that right now. Dan, could you play? Just kidding. Um, although you probably would enjoy singing Grace Wins, right? In the song Grace Wins by Matthew West, here's the lyrics. In my weakest moment, I see you shaking your head in disgrace. I can read the disappointment written all over your face. Here comes those whispers in my ear. Saying, who do you think you are? Looks like you're on your own from here. Because grace could never reach that far. Isn't that the voice of the accuser? Oh, you've messed up. Mm. I see the disappointment on your face. It's, oh, everybody sees it. I know. Oh, you're feeling pretty bad right now, aren't you? Yep. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you're on your own. God's not going to reach out to you. His grace doesn't extend that far. Right? Isn't that the voice of the accuser? It's a good picture of Joshua as he's on his face crying out to God, right? God, I tried to do what I did. I failed, right? And we do the same things in our own lives when we fail. We fall on our face before God and we say, God, I failed. I'm not worthy. I can't do this anymore for you, right? We mess up. We shake our heads. We believe all around us people are shaking their heads too. 
<laughs> There's no way God can clean this one up. No way. But here's what matters. Here's what matters. Our response to God's grace. Our response to God's grace. Max Lucado said this, Failure is a form of quicksand. Take immediate action or you'll be sucked under. Failure is a form of quicksand. Take immediate action or you'll be sucked under. Better yet, Paul said this, No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, is calling us. Paul gets, he says, I can't change my past. I can't go back and correct my mistakes. So I move forward. We all know this. If you have a number two pencil and you're taking the test, especially for those of you who have had to fill in, remember the fill in the circles? Like, circle, circle, circle. Oh, go back and try to erase it. It's like, oh, I can't get it all erased. It's like, I hope they don't think that's colored in. And you just work really hard. And next thing you know, what do you do? You put a hole through the paper. You ever done that? You're trying to erase so hard? Because here's the thing. Even though you erase your mistakes, there's always evidence that you made a mistake. There's always evidence. You always, as much as you, there's always evidence, right? I can't make it perfect. Not with my number two pencil and eraser. I can't make it perfect in my life. I can't go back. I can't change yesterday. I can't go back to high school and correct what happened in my life. I can't go back to college, correct what happened. I can't go back to yesterday and correct the things that I did wrong. I can't. But I can. I can accept the grace that God extends to me to cover my shame and my mistakes. I can accept His grace. And it allows me to move forward. Matthew West's song continues, But in the shadow of that shame, beat down by all the blame, I hear you call my name saying, It's not over. And my heart starts to beat. So loud now. Drowning out the doubt. I'm down, but I'm not out. And as he sings this song, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I hear the blame, I hear the blame. But you know what? You know what? You know what out sounds that blame? You know what silences the blame? You know what makes that accuser be quiet? It's when you start hearing the voice of God saying, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is good enough. God told Joshua, look at this. We go back to Joshua, chapter seven, verse eight. I'm sorry, chapter seven. Yeah, I can read chapter seven. Yeah, verse eight. Chapter seven, verse thirteen. Two simple words. Get up. Two simple words. Get up. Other translations. Rise up. How many times have we heard God tell Joshua to rise up? We've had a few sermons, and there's been multiple times. It's like, rise up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for all. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let's try this again. Go to Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Take your fighting men and attack Ai. For I've given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, his land. He gives them new marching orders. This time, he listened to God instead of his spies. You go back to chapter 7, who do you listen to? His spies. This time he listens to God. This time, he led the attack. In the first attack, he stayed home. This time, he has more men involved, not just a few. God gives Joshua a plan. The plan involves God's strategy and not just Joshua's strategy. The result is victory. The result is victory. See, here's what happens. When we mess up in our life, we try to fix it ourselves, and we can't. We need God's plan of attack in our life to help us in these moments. 
We just need to try again, but this time we're going to try it with Christ in our lives. You know what? I made the mistake. God, I'm sorry. And God says, so you're going to try it again with me this time? Yeah, I'm going to try it with you this time, God. Failures are only fatal if we fail to learn from them, right? So in the final days, and I want you to think about this, in the final hours before Jesus Christ goes to the cross, His greatest followers, you think about this, His disciples, those who walked with Him for three years, they ate with Him. They talked with them. He learned from them. They're so close. They're so tight with Jesus. They don't mess up, right? In the garden, though, they go to Gethsemane. Jesus has to pray, stay awake as we pray. And he goes out to pray, comes back. What are they doing? Sleeping. It must have been the time change, right? They had an excuse. Oh, the time change. I'm not catching up, Jesus, right? No. Wake up, guys. I'm going to try this again. I'll come back. And he comes back. They're sleeping again. Really, you can't stay awake for Jesus? I mean, you're in, you're in the garden with Jesus. I don't know about you, okay? We come to church, we don't see Jesus physically, right? We know the presence of God is together when brothers and sisters come together. But can you imagine being in a prayer meeting with Jesus? You know, we pray to Jesus. He's like, he's right there. I'm not falling asleep. I'm excited, right? These are his disciples. And what did they do? Boom, they're out. How about then when the soldiers come and Peter stands up, what does he do? He grabs the sword and whacks off the servant's ear. Oh, yeah, that will teach them, right? That was another mistake. Shouldn't have done that. A little violent, a little angry, aren't we there, Peter? Man, calm it down, right? That's not how we defend Jesus. Oh, in fear then what happens? All the disciples ran. Really? Jesus will never leave your... Before they could finish saying side, they were gone, right? How about Peter denying Jesus three times? How about Judas betraying him? Do you think they felt like failures? Do you think as Jesus was being put on trial and beaten, put on a cross to be crucified, do you think the disciples were hearing the voice of the accuser? <laughs> You're no follower of Jesus. You're not worthy to be his disciple. You ran. You slept. You struck out in violence. You denied. You betrayed. You are not a good disciple. Do you think they heard those voices? I'm sure they did. Just like we do at times. Matthew West continues in his song, There's a war between, between guilt and grace. Whenever I hear that song and I hear that, that lyric, I'm sitting there going, I hear you, brother, keep singing. <laughs> there is a war between guilt and grace. I'm so guilty in God's saying, but my grace covers all. And they're fighting for a sacred space, he sings. But I'm living proof, proof, grace wins every time. No more lying down in death's defeat. No, I'm rising up in victory. Singing hallelujah, grace, grace wins every time. Words can't describe the way it feels. When mercy floods a thirsty soul, a broken side begins to heal, and grace returns what guilt has stole. If you haven't heard that song, look it up, listen to it. Grace wins. In the midst of their failing, there was victory. And Jesus died on that cross, but he defeated death and he rose again. He went back to those who felt like professional failures and he showed them grace. I heard a story about a pastor who was driving down the road and this was down in Arkansas. And as he's driving, it was one of those really hot days. 
And as he's driving along, he saw this box turtle on the road, and he swerved to miss it as it was trying to work its way across on that hot day. And as he passed it and got around it, he thought, I wonder, I wonder if it's going to make it. Because there's going to be more cars and trucks that are going to come and semis. And it's hot. Is he going to be turtle soup before he ever gets across because he's going to boil inside? And he pulled over at the next place that he could pull over somebody's driveway and backed out and went back, got out of his vehicle, picked up that turtle, helped it finish going in the direction that it was going, got back in his vehicle and took off. And he sort of thought about it. He goes, you know what? That's what God's done with me in my life. As I've tried to journey and I've made mistakes and I've made wrong turns in life and I've messed up and I'm just trying to get there, it's so hard because I know at any point in time somebody could come along and run me over. Or I might make the mistake of going across a place I shouldn't go. And as all this stuff was going through his mind, he says, I'm sort of like that turban. Here's what happens. God reaches down from heaven and by his grace saves me who doesn't deserve to be saved. It picks me up and puts me in a place that I need to be. And I read that story and I thought about it. I was like, yeah. He does that for us as well. In our moments of failure, when we feel like we are the best at failing or making mistakes, God reaches down and says, I know you've made mistakes. That's why I died for you. That's why I sent my son for you. My grace covers that. I want to give you what you don't deserve because I love you. And I will forgive you. And I'll put you in a place that's so much better. Do you trust me? Our failures do not define us. And our failures do not separate us from the God of this universe. Know that. God's grace. His eternal kindness is extended to each of us. His grace saves us. His grace empowers us. His grace wins every time. So let me ask you, church, have you received this grace? Have you received this grace? If you think you've failed, and as you read the stories about what happened to Jesus in his final hours, the way his disciples maybe failed and messed up, his grace extended back to them to love them, to be great leaders. Church, God's grace extends to all of us. Have you received that grace? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God. And in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our mistakes, as we look at Joshua and how he felt so humiliated, and and I think there's times in our lives when we've made mistakes and we, we feel pretty bad. And the accuser comes in and screams and shouts and tells us we're not good enough, we're not good Christians, or maybe we even didn't even make a mistake. Somebody comes along and says, hey, could you serve? Hey, could you help? Hey, could you teach? Hey, you want to be a part of this Bible study? And we disqualify ourselves because we don't think we're good enough Christians. God, help us not to hear the voice of the accuser, but help us to hear your voice instead. And you show us grace, undeserved kindness. A holy God who is just, cannot stand the sight of sin, But because of the death of your Son, Jesus Christ on the cross, who sacrificed Himself for that sin, you now extend to us new life, a transforming life from the inside out. Grace extended to us. God, thank you for that.
Thank you for that grace. It's amazing. It's incredible. God, if there's somebody here this morning that they've, they've made some mistakes and they've not asked for forgiveness, maybe just recently they know they've done some things they shouldn't have done. They've acted out in a way they shouldn't have acted out. They've said things they shouldn't have said. We're all there, right, God? God, forgive us. May we hear silence from the accuser. And may we hear your love, your grace extended to us this morning. God, as we sing this song to you, we sing out of thankfulness. We sing out of a renewed life. Lord, fill our voices with celebration. Fill our hearts with an understanding of newness of who you are as you work in us. We love you, Lord. We sing to you in the name we pray. Amen.